Welcome back to the 43rd episode of the Daily Flip Podcast. I'm your host, Alex, and today we're going to be flipping through some of the top stories, most of which pertain to Joe Biden's new position on unions and his attempts to force them to take a deal that they don't necessarily want to. And we have one story talking about what Elon Musk's Twitter takeover reveals about the far left, mainly progressives. All right, and then with all those out of the way, we'll get to our daily delight, a story meant to leave you feeling positive and ready to take on the day. Now, that's enough rambling from me. Let's get into our daily debate. So one of the largest selling points of the Biden administration when they were him and Kamala were running for office was that he was going to fight for the blue collar worker. And we, we have seen him make strides in that direction with many pro-union policies and so on. But now that it's not politically convenient, he is kind of backing down from some of those pro-union, pro blue-collar worker policies. So the question I pose to you is, was Biden just playing politics, or has he finally realized you can't just keep giving in to unions and giving them more power? And yes, I know that is a heavily weighted question. I mean, actually, I take it back. No, definitely not weighted whatsoever. I would never do that. But I would love to hear your opinions, so throw them down there in the comments section and Maybe we can start a discussion. All right. Our first article comes from the New York Post. Union Joe suddenly turns into union buster in chief to save himself. President Biden has been heavily criticized for his comments in call to action of Congress that he made this week. The author of this article starts with a, a snarky comment. Quote, huh? President Joe Biden actually cares more about something than big labor himself. He now wants Congress to force rail unions to take a deal and avert a catastrophic strike, even though some unions have already nixed it, end quote. And this really is, like I mentioned in the beginning, it's a big shift in Biden's policies. Uh, like I said, from the very beginning, he's been a pro-union kind of guy. He's constantly talked about trying to ensure that the economy will thrive, that the little guy will get basically his fair share in Biden's economy. And he says he's going to do this by promoting unions and their collective negotiating power over big business. He even supported Amazon when they're trying to unionize or Starbucks unionization across the country. So like I said, it's been a big part of his platform and it kind of speaks back to the roots of the Democratic Party. They used to be a very blue-collar, pro-union kind of party, and that really dominated from the 40s until the late 70s when Reagan came into office and really destroyed a lot of union power across the United States. That era was very union-filled, even before the 40s, going back to early 20s when you saw Henry Ford and a lot of these big new industrialists having to deal with unionization at their plants. So like I said, this is really Joe Biden trying to tap back into what made them so successful for all those years. 
And whether you agree with the policies that they're adopting and whether you agree with that unions are a good thing or not, at the end of the day, they are a way for people to come together and make sure that their opinion is heard, especially in the workplace. Now, do unions have an outsized political influence? I would say so. Because as I read from an article the other day, well, not even the other day, I guess at this point it was practically a month ago, in California, unions give lots of money to Democratic state candidates, and then when they get into office, they pass pro-union legislation. So most of the money that they donate to those people, even though it's not the same money, obviously that gets spent on the campaign, it gets funneled back to them through mandatory taxes that pay off union dues and so on and so forth. So unions have a outsized political influence, and that's really because of that era during the 40s to the 70s when they gained a lot of control. And the Democrats were able to leverage that into staying, I don't want to say in power, but just staying in office and making sure that more pro-union things got passed. And they've kind of lost touch with that over the years. So now you're seeing Biden come back to, like I said, the roots of the Democratic Party. I mean, he's even more pro-union than President Obama was, who at the time was one of the most progressive presidents that we have ever had. So Biden spoke last week saying, quote, I am calling on Congress to pass legislation immediately to adopt the tentative agreement reached in September by railroad workers and operators, end quote. Biden said Monday, insisting no, quote, path to resolve the dispute at the bargaining table exists, end quote. And there are counter arguments here from those who support Biden, who are saying that he's trying to prevent the full collapse of the supply chains before the holiday season when consumers are going out and buying a lot of different products. And this is a very valid counter argument. At the end of the day, if you're going to fall back on less pro-union positions, this is the time to do it. When we're already facing high inflation, we're already facing supply chain issues, and we're headed into Christmas. You do not want people to be angry during Christmas. You do not want people to feel the hurt during the holiday season because that's going to hurt Biden. And it's going to, and when I say it's going to hurt Biden, it's going to hurt his poll numbers. And I'm not saying that he only cares about his poll numbers, even though that's what politicians care about. He may genuinely care about the American consumer and say, no, we can't have this during the holiday season. We can't have Americans spending more in a time that's supposed to be cheerful and they're supposed to be spending time with their families and not stressing about these sort of things. Maybe that's his thought process, and I think a lot of people that support him would say that. And I don't think that's an unvalid point of view. I think it's a logical point of view. But at the end of the day, I think it's more realistic to say that it's going to hurt his poll numbers if this happens during Christmas time. It's going to really hurt his poll numbers. So he's taking the worst of two options. Lose the blue-collar workers for a little bit. They'll eventually come back to him. The unions will come back to him because they're always going to come back to the Democrats because the Republicans won't take him in. And also, at the end of the day, like I said, up until this point, he's been the most pro-union president. So if anything... He may go a little hardball on him this time, and then in the future, ease up on him a little bit. And there's another quote here that talks about the supply chain, uh, supply chain issue and how it would force prices to rise. Quote, yet a railroad strike now, right before the holidays, would send his approval ratings through the floor. It could put 
765,000 people out of work within two weeks, cost the economy $2 billion a day, raise producer prices 4%, and even threaten access to vital chemicals needed to ensure clean water and feed for livestock. In September, Biden gloated about how the deal he secured had proven wrong those who doubted he could head off a strike. Oops, looks like it didn't. But it did score points for Democrats, delaying potential labor action until after the midterms, though perhaps inviting the unions to demand even more. And that really gets to the point that I was talking about when we were talking in the daily debate, which is, is giving in going to encourage them to, even though, let's be clear, they came to a deal. Biden still gave in to a lot of their demands when he tried to head it off. And does that not embolden them? Does that not leave the union saying, oh, okay, he's pro-union, and this is really going to hurt him politically if he doesn't bow to us and really come in and try to satisfy our needs and really placate us. So we're going to try to ask for more next time. Sorry, the quote does go on. So now Union Joe has suddenly become union buster in chief, asking Congress to force a deal on workers and to hell with their choices. It's the correct move. No one wants a railroad strike to nuke an already ailing U.S. economy. End quote. And this is what would happen, or this is exactly what happens when Biden gives in, like he did in September. I, I think there's a direct connection there. And I know I kind of railed on it in the middle of the quote, but I really want to come back to that. Unions have outsized power when you let them have outsized power. If you let them threaten to go on strike and allow these companies to hire new people in their place that aren't unionized, then a lot of these unions lose their power. And let's be clear, it is going to hurt. And I don't think this is the time to do it because it is going into holiday season. We're already in a tight financial time. So I think that Biden is taking the more politically savvy and smarter move at this point. But in the future, you can't just let unions bully you around. Now, let's be clear. If you like unions, I think there's a, a place for unions in some cases. But for the most part, they have outsized power. And I think at the end of the day, if you allowed a, let's be clear, under federal law, farmers slash agri- the agriculture sector cannot nationally unionize. And I bring that up because think what could happen if the people that produce our food were able to unionize nationally. Now, imagine the people that transport that food being able to unionize nationally. Oh, wow. It's almost as if that's what the rail companies, sorry, the rail unions have done. Hmm. So it's just another step back. And then you can extrapolate from there. Well, then why should the industry, an industry like steel, be able to unionize when we use a lot of steel for our infrastructure? So I'm like I said, I'm not saying that unions don't have a place, but when they have outsized control, they can be extremely dangerous to the flow of this country. And at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself, is having a certain segment of the population who's working in these jobs, and let's be clear, I've had people, I know people personally that have worked in union jobs before, and they like, though they don't love the dues, they do like the power, or at least the ability it gives them to really demand that they're heard. And I understand that. But at the end of the day, you have to make that value assumption when you're considering whether you like unions or not. Do you like the idea that this little guy has a say in what's going on, which is great, 
And also, do you care about the potential of shutting down the economy? And which one is more important in your mind? Which one is going to directly affect you? If you're working in these blue-collar jobs, you're definitely going to be more pro-union because at the end of the day, you want to be heard when you're working. But if you're someone who's a little bit further removed from it, who's working a white-collar job, you don't want to see all the supply chains shut down. You don't want to see prices rise just because some people are trying to get their voices heard, per se. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying you have to look at it from both sides. But this is not where our conversation about these strikes end. We have another article here from the Daily Wire. Union allies turn on pro-labor Biden for trying to prevent looming rail strike. So previous supporters of Biden and his policies are not happy with his recent remarks about how Congress should enforce a deal on these unions. Quote, the Brotherhood of Maintenance of Way People Employees Division responded in a harsh statement, noting that the organization is, quote, deeply disappointed by and disagrees with the sentiment expressed by Biden. It's not enough to share workers' concerns. To a call to Congress to act immediately to pass legislation that adopts tentative agreements that excludes pay sick leave ignores the railroad workers' concerns, the group said. It both denies railroad workers their right to strike while also denying them of the benefit they would likely otherwise obtain if they are not denied their right to strike, end quote. And what they're really getting at here, that last statement may sound a little bit weird, but for anyone who is up to date on unions, or I take that back, for anybody who knows even the smallest amount of unions, when they come out of these strikes, normally that gives them a leverage point, a place of power from which they can say, okay, no, we want these policies. We want these benefits for our workers. We want this pay raise. So if they're denied that right to strike, then they can't actually get better benefits. That they that basically they're saying that we can't obtain the better benefits so you never give us a chance to strike or at least the ability to threaten a strike. Basically, they're saying that you can't just step in and say no. You can't strike. And then that means the corporations aren't going to take their strike or their threat to strike seriously and not get any of the benefits that they want. And, and this is a move that could very well end up hurting Biden in the long run, but also his party. You know, they've been trying, like I said earlier, to get back in touch with their roots, with the working class. And there's multiple parts to this equation. They've realized that their coalition of a minority vote isn't necessarily going to hold up as more voters who are Hispanic, black, Asian have started to go to the Republican Party. But also they realize that they've kind of lost that working class, that blue-collar voter, to Trump in 2016. So they're trying to rebuild that original coalition that really allowed them to hold on to the reins of power for so long and get huge pieces of legislation passed, such as the Civil Rights Act. And I know I keep going back to an era that feels like it was really long ago, but remember, in the grand scheme of things, it's only been 50 years since they really fell out of power, or at least the consistent grip on power they had, just like the Labor Party did in England. So 
though it may feel like it's a long time ago, and if my some viewers are younger, they may not even remember any of this. They may not even have the context to understand what I'm talking about. But it's very important to look back at historical trends because at the end of the day, when this new trend that they thought was going to work out for them, this minority coalition, when they thought that was going to work, they went full steam ahead. As it slowly started to dissolve, they're looking back at historical trends and saying, ah, oh, this is when we had, had it the best. This is when we had the blue-collar worker on our side, when we had the average American on our side. And for the most part, the economy was thriving, except under Carter and a few other spats here or there. But for the most part, the economy was thriving and the middle class was growing. So they're looking back to that golden era of liberal politics and they're saying, okay, we need to get back in touch with these kind of voters and show them that we care about them again. And this isn't just a national level thing, too. I did an article, I did a podcast that had an article in it from uh, right before the election that talked about how in Wisconsin, some of these smaller state officers are going for the exact same appeal. They're trying to talk to the everyday working class people because they have lived and grown up in these towns that they've seen kind of degrade and fall apart over time. And they're trying to harken back to a time when that little paper mill across the river that most of the families worked at was providing good benefits, had a union, and was really supplying the community with a lot of value. They're trying to harken back to that golden era. They're trying to speak to those 40-sums, maybe those 50-year-olds who remember what it was like when unions were extremely strong. For our generation, the millennials and the Gen Z, they don't really have a reference point, and they like unions in a idealistic sense, but they haven't seen ha the actual benefits that those unions can bring. They only see, like I said, the theoretical of it. So they're really trying to touch back in with their roots, quote unquote. But this small thing, it may seem like a small thing now, but this one move could be very detrimental in the future. And it's not just Biden who has tried to come out and make a statement that may end up hurting the Democratic Party. Quote, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi from California announced that the lower chamber would vote on enforcing the tentative agreement this week, expressing similar reluctance as Biden to usurp standard union negotiations. Quote, we must recognize that railroads have been selling out to Wall Street to boost their bottom lines, making obscene profits while demanding more and more from railroad workers, she asserted in a statement. But we must act to prevent a catastrophic nationwide rail strike, which would grind our economy to a halt, end quote. And this is the kind of the light at the end of the tunnel for Biden, which could actually be fruitful because he is pushing, while he is pushing away unions, he is also kind of getting a little bit of praise from pro-business interests. Quote, even as labor unions decry efforts to shut down a potential strike, Various business groups who had asked Congress to intervene expressed support for Biden's statements. Quote, the freight rail system is an integral part of America's transportation system, moving cargo to the communities in every corner of our country every day. End quote. National Retail Federation CEO Matthew Sway said in a press release, quote, we are in peak holiday shopping season. And it's essential that retailers and other businesses are able to rely on these vital supply chain partners, end quote. And though I really don't see these pro-business voters switching their vote to Democrats in the future, it, it does show that they are not ideologically locked. 
which is very encouraging because when they're offered a policy that will actually help them, they give praise to whoever gave it to them. It's not like Biden's in office and, okay, I'm a Republican who likes business. I'm saying it's a hypothetical here. I'm a Republican who likes business. And Biden does a pro-business policy. No, that's a terrible policy because it's coming from Biden. It's like when Trump was in office and whenever he proposed something that a few years ago may have been considered normal liberal policy, the Democrats instantly came out against it, even if it was sound policy that was going to help everybody in America. And this is nice to see. It is good to see that you could still give praise to a politician even when you don't necessarily agree with them, even when you don't vote for them, because that's good. At the end of the day, we do not want the praise and decrying of policies and bills and laws and legislation to come down purely on partisan lines. If there's a bill that helps both the right and the left, and only the left is saying how much we love it, then the Democrats and the Republicans aren't going to try to come together to get it passed. It's just going to be the Democrats saying, oh, okay, yeah, we're going to try to get it passed for our people, but not for the other side of the aisle. When the other side of the aisle, if they come out and support it, then maybe some Republicans flip sides too. We need to be open to accepting that maybe (laughs) Democrats can make policies that are good for Republicans and Republicans can make policies that are good for Democrats. We need to have this crossbreeding, this ability to go across the aisle, like a, a Bill Clinton era, when he was willing to go across the aisle and cut certain welfare programs, well, sorry, booster certain welfare programs, while also saying at the end of the day, we're going to cut it off in five years if you're not meeting the obligations that you need to in order to get these benefits. And that was a middle-of-the-road solution that benefited people who needed the welfare, but also benefited the taxpayer because it's not going to be an indefinite burden that they're going to have to pay for long term. So we need more bipartisanship and more praise when legislators do something that's good for everybody. We can't just have these partisan divides because it's just going to make it harder to even propose legislation that's going to help everybody because then the politicians, when they don't hear Even when they pass good legislation and they don't hear that praise, they're not even willing to then in the future put up legislation that helps everybody. They're just going to appeal to their side. So I know that was a little bit of a longer rant, but it was a redeeming quality in this article that I really thought was nice to see. All right, so we have one more normal article. This one comes from Alternet. What the left liberal reactions to Twitter's new owner reveal about progressives. So the author starts by outlining what they believe are the three types of users on Twitter. So we have our professionals, reporters, political commentators, etc. Then we have the partisans. These are those that hold fast to their beliefs and don't want to hear the other side. And then we have the spectators, the ones who just sit back and watch the chaos unfold. And I'll tell you now, I'm a spectator. I do have Twitter. And like I've said before, it's linked in the description so I can post some things and put some news out there. But for the most part, I'm a spectator. I don't really want to jump in the ring. But watching the chaos and the comments and the back and forth, it's hilarious sometimes. All right. So first they break down the professionals. Quote, The first I describe as the professional critics. These are the pundits, journalists, scholars, and writers who regularly participate in the public square. 
and who in turn influence lay participants. Call them influencers, if you like. In any case, they, including me, not arrogant at all, by the way, spend most of their time doing stuff normal people don't have the time for. This camp doubted Monsieur Muskrat's claim of bringing free speech back. Never did they believe, as he does, that Twitter was being used as a weapon to silence, quote, unpopular opinions. But they did believe it was as the top forum for democratic politics, useful for flattening the orders of power that constitute what most people see as normal, end quote. And this is, of course, not true on two levels. There are professionals in the professional class who believe that censorship of particular views was happening on Twitter. And two, as you recently saw Elon Musk put out, there was systematic suppression of certain ideas from both sides of the aisle on Twitter. And I thought it was really interesting when you hear this reporter saying, oh, no, 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 there's no suppression on Twitter. And I, Elon the other day literally said that it's coming out that we, I'm going to show the behind the scenes of what Twitter was doing and how they were suppressing certain types of content. And, you know, it's interesting. This article came out yesterday. Elon made the comment today. And let's be clear, I'm recording this a little bit early from the time you'll hear it. I think at this point it's about a week ahead of when you'll hear it. So I don't necessarily have the full breadth of the news. But as of this moment, Elon's saying there was manipulation behind the scenes, and I'm going to let it out here soon. By the time this comes out, it very well could be out in the open. And I would go searching for it and see if... Elon has put the information out, and if he has put the information out, if it really speaks to systematic suppression or censorship of certain views. He says it does, but, you know, he could be bolstering just to get a little bit more, a few more clicks before those comments come out. So I would do your own research on this one. I would go searching for it because I think it's an interesting one. All right, so then the author talks about the second class Quote, the second I describe as popular partisans. These are the people with huge followings on Twitter who say basically one thing. The Republicans are bad. They are genius at finding various and sundry ways of saying one thing. But make no mistake, it's always one thing. The popular partisans are more, have more influence than the professional critics because they don't bother with things like intellectual integrity, social realities, clear reasoning, clear writing, etc., They don't care about the process as much as the outcome. If the outcome of their labors keeps the democratic faith in line, job well done, end quote. And the author here is speaking from the side that, oh, the partisans, he's only really talking about the democratic partisans. There are Republican partisans that just toe the party line and do the exact same thing. And I think this is a very fair criticism There are people on both sides who, no matter what the policy is, if it's backed by a Republican and they're a Republican, they'll go for it. If it's backed by a Democrat and they're a Democrat, they'll go for it. And they don't really care about thinking about it critically and actually analyzing their own position on it. And if the policy is wrong, then they don't take the time to call it out. They just won't mention it or won't say anything. And as a person who has flip-flopped from both sides of the aisle, when I was younger, I was one, now I'm a little bit different, you know, you really do have to take time to break down what each side is saying. Because even if you agree with what they're saying on the surface level, 
sometimes you have to go in and understand why they're saying it. And maybe you don't like why they're saying it. Maybe there's a policy that you really love that's going to help your family specifically, but then you take the time to understand why they're proposing it, and it's actually because it's also going to benefit Wall Street. And maybe you don't agree with that on a personal level. So there can be multi-layers, multiple layers to these policies and positions that certain people take. And you have to take the time to break it down and realize where you agree and where you don't agree and never just pull the line. And that's what the author is talking about here with these partisans that just sit there, pull the line, and they just want to get clicks by being outrageous and not actually thinking about what they're saying and engaging in fruitful conversations. And then we have a, an interesting quote here that I think that really, really highlights what they're talking about, the author's talking about here. The popular partisans send, in effect, an anti-democratic message, perhaps without knowing it. That message is, alas, the democracy depends on bad people choosing to do good things. If anything is unbelievable, it's that. No democracy depends on what it always depended on. Democratic people practicing democratic policies, end quote. And what they're getting at here is... Both sides kind of point the finger at the other side and say, oh, I can't believe they want to do this. And we have to just vote in our people who are going to do what we want. And at the end of the day, even if those people are bad people, well, they have that whatever party you are affiliated with, they have that letter next to their name, I'm going to vote for them. And that's not how it works. If there's a Republican running in your district and you don't like what they're saying and you've been a loyal Republican, but the Democrat is more in line with what you believe, Vote for the Democrat. Don't have just blind party loyalty because when you just randomly toe the line like this and don't go in depth on some of these issues and don't analyze why it is that these people hold these views and what views they're trying to push upon you as a citizen, then you're going to have people that make undemocratic decisions eventually. Just keep it in mind. And then, of course, the author closes talking about the spectators who just laugh as they watch from the sidelines and both sides are tearing into one another. And I'll tell you now, from the sidelines, Twitter is a very enjoyable place. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. All right, ending on that little bit of goofy note, we're going to go to our daily delight from the animal rescue site. Curious German shepherd puppy meets mama cat and her newborn kittens. Sometimes cats and dogs are seen as mortal enemies. But that's not always the case. Quote, the adorable moment a little puppy was introduced to kittens was captured on video and shared for the world to see. In this sweet video, you can see the little German shepherd meeting the new mama cat and her tiny kittens. It was the first time the pup had met the kittens, and it went perfectly, end quote. And the little guy was just overflowing with curiosity, and he does proceed cautiously. He's not jumping around. He's, he's very delicate, I promise. Quote, the mama cat doesn't seem to be sure about the little puppy, but it's not long before everyone rests easy together. The puppy gives the mama cat a little bop on the, her nose, and it seems as if the two become fast friends in that moment, end quote. And if you want to see any of the cute videos or photos of these guys playing, or if you want to read any of today's article articles, they will be linked in the description below that like and subscribe button, down there is also, as I mentioned earlier, the Twitter, hand, Twitter handle, at your daily flip. Try to do news, commentary, quote, tweet. Just try to keep you informed once a day 
maybe a little bit more some days, a little less others. And on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I post a link directly to the podcast so you don't have to go searching for it. You could just see it pop up in your Twitter feed. But with all that said, there's only one more thing to say. Stay safe. Don't die.